Hi, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 31st of July, 2019 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. There is so much to say about what's happening in our city these days that it's hard to figure out how to start. Along with all the political upheaval, there's a number eight typhoon hitting us just now, and it's very wet outside. One thing about Hong Kongers, though, is that they're resilient and resourceful. And as we're listening to Daniel's story today, we'll be reflecting on the endurance and willingness for Hong Kongers to carry on. After we hear Daniel's story, we'll hear a poem written and performed by Vishnal Nanda from this year's Hong Kong Spoken Word Festival in May. Before we get to today's stories, though, a huge, if rather damp, hug goes out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. We know there's a lot of things holding your attention right now, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to our stories. Thanks go out to our listeners around the world as well, especially to those listeners in our sister city of Macau, Derby in the UK, and Helsinki in Finland. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. Now, August has no live show as we take a break from the summer heat, so the next show will be in September. On 11 September at the Fringe Club, Jen will host a show with the theme of Flipped. There are only three more shows in the calendar for 2019, and there's pitch workshops up if you're interested in telling at the live show. There's workshops every Tuesday if you'd like to come and share a story in a small group. Find all the information you need at hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than comedy. It's better than drama. It's real life. And now for my February 2019 show with the theme of Direction Unknown, here is Daniel. 30 days has September, right? So it was the 30th of September, uh, 2016. Uh, you can check this. That's a Friday. The Friday, and because it was a Friday, we were sitting around drinking and talking. Me, my wife Kate, and our friend Fiona. Being a Friday, being drinking, this went on late into the night. And inevitably, midnight rolled around and September came to an end. As soon as I noticed this, I interrupted the conversation and I said, ladies, it's time. Then I scurried off into my office and got art supplies. <laughs> I came back and we started to draw. For myself, I drew a very wonky giraffe with big flirty eyelashes and uh, gangly legs sort of tangled all over each other. Kate drew this kind of abstract flower mandala pattern that she likes to do. And Fiona drew a, a, a landscape of Lama Island because that was where we were. Now, the reason for this sudden change of direction was that September was over and we had entered into a new month. Not some ordinary October, like in previous years, but Inktober, the month-long challenge to draw every day. It's a simple enough idea. Every day, for 31 days, you draw a picture in ink. People all over the world do it. How hard could it be? The thing is, at the time, I was drawing on an 
rigorous, regular schedule of almost never, and then <laughs> only if it didn't need to be finished. I got myself into a really unproductive headspace. Uh, some of you will recognize this. It, it doesn't really matter what your thing is. The longer I went without doing it, the bigger a deal it became. I would want to do something really amazing to make it worthwhile. Try and find the pub perfect subject or you know, put aside four hours or a whole weekend, something like that. And then, of course, that made it even harder and the cycle continued. So Inktober was perfect for me. I really respond well to that kind of completionist challenge. As soon as I heard about it, I declared that I would 100% do it. I put a re reminder in my uh, calendar app. And then I promptly waited 11 and a half months doing nothing at all. <laughs> because the problem with that completionist mindset is that there was no way I was going to do half an Inktober. That would be, what would be the point of that? So then that brings us back to where we were in 2016. Uh, and I was really excited. I got up the next morning, jazzed and ready to go. And then realized, of course, that I'd already done my drawing. It would be a whole other day before the next picture would count. Of course, I, I was far too uh, uh, impatient and enthusiastic for that at that point. So uh, Jake Parker, uh, who invented Inktober, provides a, uh, a, a list of words, prompts, right? a word a day to help you get started. Uh, and uh, you don't have to do it. It's not compulsory, but it, it can help. And the word for the first day wasn't wonky giraffe, it was fast. So I drew that as well. Uh, a three-toed sloth on a rocket wearing one of those leather World War II flying helmets. Like I say, I was very enthusiastic at the beginning. Uh, by day five, I was squeezing them in last minute on the ferry. That meant some of them were quite rushed, some of them were objectively terrible. Uh, which made them quite hard to share, uh, which is the other rule of Inktober. We're telling stories. It's not a story unless you tell it to someone. And it's not Inktober unless you show it to the world. And while that can be excruciating, it's also very valuable because by sharing it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, you basically... It, it, the, the picture becomes forcibly finished. I couldn't just put it in a drawer and pretend I'd get back to it. I had to do the daily drawing, fill up my notebook, and move on. And I was doing it. I was hanging in there. I was still in the game. Um, I started to figure out more about what I could get fitted in in that half hour on the ferry. People from further and further out on my Facebook circle started saying nice things and cheering me on. No pressure. Uh, I stopped using the prompts. Uh, I started to instead draw things that caught my eye so, or something that sort of seemed to uh, tell the story of the day. And by doing that, what happened was it, it became... The, the, my notebook became kind of an associative diary. And as I look back on them now, I can see, for instance, the weather come and go. I can see, you know, uh, 
a, a kid jumping off a, a junk in the sun to a, a cloudy moon using the exciting silver ink I found in Cosmos books. <laughs> and then somebody with an umbrella bent against the rain, followed by the, the final drip of water coming off a blade of grass. I didn't mean to do this. It just sort of happened. And some of them are quite good. Some of them, not so much. The blade of grass thing sounds nice. It's actually more or less completely unintelligible. <laughs> However, I was filling up my notebook. And it, there's something really satisfying about that, filling up page by page by page, just cleanly, you know, no, a notebook that doesn't have half-interrupted pages with scrawled telephone notes and shopping lists, just a picture a day, every day. Fantastic. Um, and then I carried on. I kept drawing because practice begets more practice. And I had found that this was the antidote that I was looking for. I kept drawing. I kept filling up my notebook, and I just started to really feel that that was building to a greater whole. So, of course, inevitably, one day, I left my notebook at home. I didn't even realize until I was on the ferry, uh, last chance to draw and empty-handed. My bag is a bit of a uh, black hole. Uh, so I was digging around in the bottom of it, hoping against hope that maybe I would find the notebook somewhere lower down in the strata, uh, even though in my mind's eye I could still see it on the scanner at home. What I did find was another notebook. Small, tatty, filled mostly with scrawled phone messages and shopping lists. Uh, but there was a spare page. Tiny, but enough. I drew a turtle which turned into more turtles, on turtles, on turtles, on turtles, spiralling away, all the way down, as they say. Because in the end, the point was not to fill up the notebook. The point was to do the work. So I kept going, and it felt good. It felt healthy, even. And I started to realise, as I came close to the Inktober the 31st, that I was going to miss this when it was gone. My brother suggested no ink vember. <laughs> it sounded like madness. I mean, what was I going to do? Draw in pencil? <laughs> then I realized I quite like drawing in pencil. I told my brother that no ink sounded like the noise that a, a pig made when it got stung by a bee. <laughs> so I drew that in pencil on November the 1st. Unfortunately, as I came to December, I couldn't think of a clever word for that. So I just carried on. I got to 100 days. I got to 200. A whole 365-day year. Since that day, at the 1st of October 2016 till now in 2019, I've been drawing every day. You can see the pictures on Daniel's Daily Drawings on Facebook. <laughs> At the end of June this month, there'll be a thousand days. It's just a thing that I do now. And I'm really glad 
that I do. We are really glad that Daniel does his daily drawings too. He told this story in February, and at least one person in the audience was inspired to go out and start a daily project of their own. Maybe you want to join in too. Feel free to share your daily activity through the contact link on our website at hongkongstories.com. This past year in May, Hong Kong Stories sponsored the Hong Kong Spoken Word Festival. At this festival, we heard poets and storytellers, actors and dramatists, comedians and improvers. They were all delightful, and today you get to hear one of the poems performed at the Peel Street Poetry Show. Here is Vishnal Nanda. This is called Victory, uh, dedicated to an old friend of mine. He cradles me, unwraps the paper that clings to my neck. Is he going to be gentle? Grateful? His hands are smooth, but there's hair on his arms. He runs one thumb along my tongue. It feels so good. Then he rips the paper off, tips me over, and empties me out the box. Asshole! I watch him throw the packaging across the floor into a pile of discarded clothes. Hmm, he's messy. But perhaps I'll be the first step in a larger chain. Yeah, this is it. I'm ready. He looks around like he's paranoid, then lifts me up, sniffs me close. Oh, yeah, he loves that new shoe smell. I want him inside me now. <laughs> he leaves me by the front door for three weeks. Asshole! I watch him not even bother to untie the shoelaces of some badly scuffed chuck of boots. You jackass, buy loafers! I hear the leather strain, watch it crack from floor level. It'll hardly last another month at this rate. The sole breaks after just 14 days. He still wears it. He brings it home after it turns another shade from a typhoon. He thinks leaving it on the balcony will help, but those are crepe soles. I mean, what the hell? Then one day, there are two sets of feet, and one of them small, perching diagonally. A classy guy slips off her feet, minimal and sleek. His girl has good taste. She says, you need new shoes, babe. Seriously. Fuck yeah, she's a keeper. And I'm bored out of my mind. The other shoes stretch, they groan, they complain when he walks. Instead of taking the bus, they hate it if he doesn't wear thick socks. I got no friends here. I'm an outcast. I crave the pavement. Hell, I'll even sell it for a treadmill. I mean, stand and carry weights if you have to. But I was built for speed. I want to kick the air and play dodge the dog shit. I want to count the seconds. Instead, I count the weeks. Mom told me this was going to happen. I got bought around New Year. Never a good sign. <laughs> but I told her impossible is nothing. And she rolled her eyes and had been there, done that sort of way. Hell with you, Mom. I'm built from the stuff they sent to space. According to the ads, at least. <laughs> and then his girl leaves. He puts me on that very night like he's about to chase her down. But I can't go back in time. I try to tell him, but I think he knows. He just sits instead on the couch. I watch his face hanging above me. I watch it rain indoors. And in his eyes, some other kind of storm. Plugs up his ears, squares his shoulders, the laces are a bit loose, but never mind, I'm on deck, he's wondering whether it's time, but I squeak, just do it! And like that, we're airborne, and he lasts all of two minutes downstairs, till he's slowed to a walk, shit, no wonder she left him, he doesn't even own running socks. His chin's so low, it's like he's gonna kick himself in the face, his eyes can't find the horizon, and I'm embarrassed as well as I finally meet the others, battle-hardened, scuffed, sweat-sawed, and they fly by, and I think I can hear them laugh. But that's okay. He went from zero to moving, and that's the biggest change. Everything else is easier. I can hear mom's voice. That's it for you, dear. He took a shot and missed. No swish. He's never taking you out again. 
but I fit his foot perfectly and he knows it. His other shoes are posers, so when he takes me out two days later, I know deep down he's loyal when it counts. Two minutes and 25 seconds this time. That's a huge improvement, champ. I make sure to cushion the blows and he keeps me airborne for as long as he can. We're a team, me and him. And the first time he fell ill, when he got depressed, they made him take those pills, he put me away. But I knew, I fucking knew, this was no longer about just losing weight. I waited three weeks whilst the others squeaked and laughed, but he came back and I knew it was at stake. He was running to heal his mind, make no mistake. We weren't running in circles anymore, something had changed. He was fat, sure. He was slower than the others, it didn't last as long, but when the music caught, when the beat was about to drop, he didn't just run, he sprinted, and I was torn between crying, stop, you'll hurt yourself. But I knew he wouldn't. Because every flat was a hill, and every hill was a challenge, and every challenge was a victory his heart needed so he could beat this, so I shut up and helped him fly. Just do it, buddy. We can do it together till the day I die. He got lighter. Bottom heavy. Lost the top. He had to tighten the laces, even replace them once. We were comrades in arms. Now that we were moving faster, I finally heard what my cousin said. Impossible is nothing they brew through their tongues. We're in this together, all of us running towards something better. It was the honor to take those blows, to gather up scars and crack open my soul, because unlike mom or dad, almost everyone else at the store, I was with him when my man ran his first marathon. We'd never done 40K before. I knew I might not have it in me. Hell, he should have replaced me weeks ago, but he didn't. He said, not till we do this thing. Amen, brother. I had just one job. Don't break. Don't crack. Stay on him. We're a team, me and him. He had to walk near the end. <laughs> but that's okay. I like that this got drawn out. When we reached the end, he cried. And I leaked some sweat as well. When we made it back upstairs, I left stains on his floor. Footprints, if you will. He took me off for the last time, bent down and thanked me. I want to say, buddy, it was you who let me live. It was you who did all the work. I was sad, I suppose, but also lucky. How many other shoes get to fight till they die? Only champions and warriors do. Valhalla awaited. I have earned an eternal afterlife in the presence of Nike Air Max 95s. <sighs> but then he did something strange. He did not throw me away. Instead, he placed me next to the rack and left me there. His next girlfriend asked him why he hadn't thrown them away. He said... I'm not done yet. I'm saving them for the best, final race. Because I went from zero to moving in those shoes, and everything else has been easier to do. So I'm waiting on deck for the impossible challenge so I can squeak between the scars on my chest. Just do it, man. You got this. Thanks for listening to today's stories, brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs> <laughs>